What's up online? We're in between series right now, uh, which means we have a location pastor Sunday across all our locations. Usually, uh, if you're a guest with us, what you'll see is you'll see us in the middle of a series. You'll see uh, at some point before whoever's up here starts talking, a bumper, a graphic, something to let you know what we're kind of in the season uh, of talking about. But this week is a little bit different because uh, we do these location pastor Sundays in the middle of those series, kind of as their own standalone. Usually, what these look like is just a conversation between your location pastor and you. Whenever you decide to go to a location, uh, any one of our locations, you'll have a specific location pastor, and this is really just a Sunday for him to share with you guys, with his congregation, what he feels like God's really been putting uh, on his heart specifically. And so uh, today I have something that I feel like God's been uh, letting me wrestle with a little bit over the course of the last couple of weeks and months, and I wanted to share that with you this morning, and I think it really will be a conversation uh, for us, and maybe a conversation that I hope on the other side of this you are okay with having with yourself, because I think there's going to be a lot of introspection on the other side of this. So uh, usually, for me in particular, how I navigate these standalone messages is through this guy named Jesus, because I'm absolutely fascinated by this guy named Jesus. This person who we see in our Bible all throughout the New Testament, and we walk through his life, He's, he does miracles, he, he talks in parables, he, he kind of has these like prescriptions on what we should be doing and how we should be living life, and, and, and he's also, in my opinion, the Messiah, right? The Redeemer of sins, the Savior of the world, and so this guy, just based on his timeline, his history, historically who he is, he fascinates me. And so generally, whenever I have one of these Location Pastor Sundays, it's hard to get away from the person of Jesus. And this week is really uh, no different from that. This week in particular, we're going to be diving into the person of Jesus. But in the past, uh, we've kind of looked at some questions from Jesus and said, all right, well, if Jesus is asking this question, it's got to be important. What's the answer? How do, we, how do we navigate that? But this week in particular, uh, there's really two things about Jesus that I've been wrestling with and chewing on. And the first two are this, what he taught and thought about prayer and fasting, and then the second one is parables. Those, those things have just been fascinating me lately, and I've been wanting to dive in deeper and kind of navigate some of that. And luckily, this passage that I feel like he's been uh, allowing me to wrestle with a little bit is relevant in both of those instances. So I'm really excited to dive into this conversation today, and, and I want to let you know ahead of time that hopefully this becomes really introspective for you. Hopefully you get on the other side today, and you get to be able to ask yourself, Hey, where am I at with a lot of that stuff? But before we dive in, I want to let you know where we're going to be. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, and uh, Luke is a gospel. It's going to be in the beginning of your New Testament. It's one of those historical accounts of Jesus written by this guy named Luke, who is a pretty smart guy, right? Historian, um, scholar, scribe. He, he, he writes this book of these accounts of Jesus, and we dive into the book of Luke, and we're navigating the life of Jesus, and here he is. He's on the scene. He's just called his disciples to follow him. He gets in the boat, shows them this miraculous miracle about how if they would just go out right now, drop their nets, they'd catch a bunch of fish after they've already been working all day and not caught anything. And then he fills the boats up uh, so much so they have to call another boat and both boats start sinking before they can uh, hardly get back to shore. So that's where we're picking up in this timeline in Luke chapter 5. And so these fascinating moments in Jesus' life, but before we get all the way down to where I want to spend the majority of our time today in verse 33, I wanted to kind of preface where we're going with what gets us to that point. So if you have your Bibles and you're following along, uh, that's, a, that's great, that's awesome. If you don't, that's okay too. We're gonna have it on the screen, but go to Luke chapter five and we're actually gonna kind of start in verse 12 and I wanna kind of flesh some of these stories out in verse 12 because I think all these stories are leading up to this pinnacle moment I kind of want to land on uh, this morning. But the first one starts like this. You see in verse 12 where this whole dialogue starts, you see Jesus 
have this interaction with a guy who's got leprosy. And basically what happens is uh, the guy with leprosy comes up to Jesus. He says, listen, I know who you are. I know what you're capable of. And if you're willing, if you're willing, then I can be healed. If you can just do this, if you could just touch me and heal me, then I know you're capable of healing me. And Jesus says, yeah, I'm willing. And boom, he heals the guy. And then Jesus sends this guy to a priest because there's this entire uh, ritualistic process when somebody becomes physically healed in the Old Testament and, and kind of in Jesus' day too. And so he sends it to the priest and says, hey, go through the process. And then uh, also what the priest does on the other side of that process is his, gives his affirmation. Like, yes, this person is okay. This person is good. He can go back out into society now. And if you know anything about leprosy, you know that that's one of those things that uh, they would isolate you for in culture because it was so contagious and it spread so rapidly and it was so miserable that when they found out somebody had leprosy, they would completely isolate them. So here's this guy. Jesus says, hey, I healed you. I, I don't want you to really go tell anybody about this, but go to the priest so that he can get you right and give you his stamp of approval and you can go back out into society and hang out with people, see family, whatever. And it's fascinating because this is the first thing that kind of has to happen. This is on the Pharisees' radar, right? It has to be on their radar because Jesus sends him to the temple to a priest to get the stamp of approval. So now the Pharisees have an eyebrow raised to, hey, wait a minute. Is somebody out there dealing with sickness? Is somebody out there healing people? There's some miracles happening. What's going on, right? So they're kind of starting to be in the know. And then you keep reading in your Bible and you move on from verse 12 and you get through that story and you get on to verse 17 and another story picks up. Maybe one that we're a little more familiar with if we grew up in church or if we know our Bibles pretty well. But it's the story about Jesus teaching in a house and the house becoming so full because his following is getting so big and, and there not being enough room and, and people hearing about this Jesus guy who's healing and the fact that he's teaching in this one location. He's teaching in this house. And they say, hey, Let's go get our buddy. Let's take our buddy to this Jesus guy, and this Jesus guy will heal him. And, and their buddy's completely paralyzed, so he's completely incapable of doing anything on his own physically. So they go get their buddy. They go up to the house. They realize, man, this house is completely full. There's no way for us to get in there to Jesus. But they're like, we're not going to let that stop us. That's just an excuse at this point. We're going to go in the daggum roof, and they start ripping a hole in the roof, and they lower their paralyzed buddy down in front of Jesus in the middle of the teaching, in the middle of conversations. And this crowd around Jesus is full of everybody. It's full of the sinners. It's full of the Pharisees. It's got a big mix. And so here they go. They're dropping their buddy into the crowd. And Jesus looks at their buddy and says, hey, it is because of your friend's faith that you will be healed. Wow. So Jesus, so, so, so he says, not that you'll be healed first, but he says it's because of your friend's faith that your sins are forgiven. Right? That's where he starts with this guy. And he dives into this conversation and in, in this dialogue, and everybody's watching, and they're like, wait, a whole other conversation for another day. Your friend's faith heals this guy or, or delivers him from his sins. What, what's going on with that? But the bigger implication, the bigger question mark here is for the Pharisees, hey, what do you mean you're forgiving this guy's sin? Like, we're listening, and, and, and we're intrigued, and we're very skeptical at this point, and we're, we're probably not on board, but now we're definitely not on board because as Pharisees, we know that the only person who's able to grant the forgiveness of sins is God and God alone. So what are you doing? What conversation are you having? Why do you think you're showing up in this house with these people and all of a sudden you can just forgive this guy of his sins? So now this private thing that was kind of in the middle of just the Pharisees only is really starting to become public for them as a whole because now Jesus guy is out here and he's not just saying I'm going to heal people, but he's saying, no, I'm delivering people from their sins. I'm letting them, I'm helping them, and I'm taking care of the spiritual side of things here. 
And so the Pharisees are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's God and God alone that forgives sin. So what are you doing? But they're not saying this. They're actually thinking this. And Jesus addresses their thoughts, which is fascinating. And he says, hey, which is easier for me to do? Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven to this guy? Or is it easier for me to say, take up your mat and walk? It's easier for me to just say, and you not see the spiritual implications here, your sins are forgiven. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to affirm what I just did spiritually by practically letting you watch this guy get up with his mat and walk out of here. And so he tells the guy, get up and go. And the guy who's been paralyzed gets up, grabs his mat and goes. So the Pharisees at this point are probably like, I have no idea how to reconcile this. If it's not like, like, and they get to that moment of like almost probably where it's like, well, well, it can't be God because we're not willing to go there yet. So it's got to be some demonic influence. And at one point in the, in the gospels, they call him a, a demon and they, and they call him um, Beelzebub. And they're like, this doesn't make sense. It can't be this way. And so at this point, they're mind blown. And I don't think these stories are out of order. I think they're in order because what you see first is you see Jesus uh, letting the Pharisees kind of deal with this privately, right? The guy goes to the temple, deals with the priest. The priest gives him the stamp of approval. Then you see the Pharisees start to deal with this publicly in a huge way, not just a claim of I can do healing, but a claim that I'm God who's doing healing because I can forgive sins. And then you skip down to the next story, and it's this bizarre story that doesn't really seem to fit in the middle of the supernatural stuff that's going on. And he says, hey, uh, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to eat with sinners and tax collectors. And these Pharisees come up to him and say, hey, should you, shouldn't you just like not be hanging out with unclean people? Isn't it like, isn't it like the kind of deal where you should be hanging out with only clean people and righteous people? Isn't, isn't a righteous life what we're supposed to pursue is kind of the, the tone of that dialogue? And Jesus looks at him and asks him this question. He says, hey, is it the sick people that need a doctor or is it the healthy people that need a doctor? Because I'm pretty sure it's the sick people that need a doctor and that's why I'm hanging out with this, the spiritually sick people. I'm, so I'm hanging out with the people who, who are broken, who are sinful, who you're writing off. Because the healthy people who you think you are, you don't need a doctor. And so now Jesus enters another layer and he says, hey, not only am I doing these things, but I'm starting to show you maybe what it should be look like, looking like for you to start doing these things. And this is where the story I want to lean into starts to pick up in verse 33. It says in verse 33, then they said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers. And those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. And so immediately what they're doing is they're playing this game where they say, hey, listen, 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 listen. You are hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. We don't think that's okay. In fact, we're going to affirm the fact that we know from a spiritual discipline standpoint, you're wrong because look how right we are. This is what people who follow God do. John's disciples, they fast, right? Us Pharisees, we follow God. We fast. You can't be right by eating with sinners and tax collectors because your disciples they don't fast. Every time they're with you, they, they don't fast. They just eat and they drink like there's no issue going on at all. And it's interesting what Jesus says to him because he addresses that, but maybe not at face value. Maybe I think diving into what he knows they mean and what the intent of their heart is in verse 34. And he says this, Jesus said to them, you can't make the wedding guest fast while the groom is with them, can you? 
But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. And so what you need to know about this culture is like there was a, even, even amongst the religious people, there was a season where they would say, hey, there's no reason to fast because it's strictly a celebration. And that stipulation was for weddings in particular. And so Jesus says, hey, we're going to go there. We're going to make the analogy. We're going to get where you're at. We're going we're to drop down to your level, get to square one, and I'm going to explain this to you. He says, Jesus said to them, you can't make the wedding guest fast, the disciples fast, while the groom's with them, can you? He's saying, I'm the groom, I'm the prize. If your goal is to get closer to God, and that's why you fast, then why would they fast their walking with God? This is, a, this is a season of celebration. They don't need to be fasting right now. They need to be celebrating with me because they are with God. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then in those days, they'll fast. So he's saying it's not that fasting is a bad thing. Fasting is a good thing. In fact, fasting is a thing that they're going to do and they're not going to need to do it until I leave. One day I'm going to leave. One day I'm not going to be here. And those are the days they can fast. But right now it's time for a celebration because the Messiah, the God of the universe has come here in human flesh and that's who they get to walk with every day. So in the world of when does the celebration happen, it's right now. In the world of why would we fast, it's there's no reason to because we're with the God of the universe. And so Jesus is unpacking this for him. And he says, yes, I understand what you're saying. What I'm, what I'm saying is that the, the whole reason to fast is right here in the flesh. And so they don't need to do that. And th- there, he's also trying to get them to understand, hey, you don't really get this because you don't understand what's being ushered in. I understand this is confusing for you Pharisees because you don't understand the implications of what I'm saying when I say, hey, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk or this is what I'm capable of. You're not quite grasping that yet. So I understand that you don't understand and it's very unclear what's being ushered in right before your eyes and he starts to break that down because he realizes that they don't understand and he tells them a parable. And this is one of those other things that I've been waiting through that's just fascinating to me, these parables, right? that Jesus tells, these stories, these earthly stories that have a heavenly meaning or a deeper purpose for them spiritually. And he dives right into this parable and he says this. He also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It'll spill and the skins will be ruined. No new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And so in this parable, he breaks it down into two analogies, right? He's telling the Pharisees, hey, you don't understand what's being ushered in. That's why you're hesitant. That's why you're skeptical. Your hearts are hard. You're not seeing what's right in front of you. And what I'm trying to show you is right in front of you is this, that you're trying you're thinking I'm trying to put a patch job on Judaism. You think I'm trying to bring in some new rules, maybe a little different flavor, maybe some new nuance to your religious stuff. And what I'm telling you is this is not a patch job. This is not me trying to put a new patch on an old religion. What I'm telling you Pharisees is that I am ushering in this new thing called grace, this new thing called intimacy with the Father through the Holy Spirit that's coming down the pipeline and me right now. And he's saying, how you do that is you don't put a new patch on old clothes. What you do is you realize you're wearing new clothes. You step into something completely new. This thing that's not just for you Judaizers, this thing that's not just for you Jews, this thing that I'm trying to tell you right now is about to be for everybody. This is a new thing. I'm coming to establish new things for you, new things for Gentiles, not just what you've always known, not just what you've always thought, not just a new flavor on those things. But I'm saying, hey, Jesus is saying, hey, 
The system of legalism, I'm coming to wreck it. The system of empty worship, I'm coming to wreck it. The system of empty routine, of empty prayer lives, of empty self-righteousness, he's coming to do away with that, not just put a patch job on it, and he's coming to make intimacy with the Father available for everybody, not just the Jews. And so he's starting to tell them, hey, this isn't just for you. I understand you have a disconnect mentally, and I understand you're not completely uh, comprehending what's going on, but I'm trying to tell you, this is not just for you, and these things that you're not understanding are because you don't understand who I am. You don't understand that I'm the groom yet. You don't understand that my disciples don't need to fast because we're celebrating that God has come to earth. You're not comprehending that, and you're not comprehending what's coming on the other side of that, what I'm coming to do away with. That's the first analogy he gives them. And then he dubs into the second one. He says, the second one is this conversation about wineskins, right? Maybe a little unfamiliar to us, but uh, in their context, in their culture, they would put new wine in new wineskins because the old wineskins would, would start to bulge. They'd start to get ripped. They'd start to be bad. And we would start to lose uh, the wine that's in them. And so Jesus says, no one, who puts, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst in the skins. It'll spill. And the skins will be ruined. No new wine is put in to fresh wineskins. He's doubling down on his patch job analogy. He's saying, that's not what's happening here. This is something new that I'm ushering in for you, for the Gentiles. This is what's happening. And while it happens, here's what I need you to know about it. I need you to know that when this becomes available to not just the Jews, but it becomes available to the Gentiles, it's going to have some explosive properties where you're going to have to get rid of this old religious system this do's or don'ts, this God loves me or hates me attitude, and understand that Jesus is coming so that you can have intimacy with the Father, and it's not just you. It's going to be explosive. The pot is going to get bigger, and so the skins need to be stronger. Your understanding, your connection, your, your theology needs to grow deeper than what it is right now because I'm ushering in something new, and you need to grasp that. Your old, th- th- this new idea I'm bringing is not going to fit into your old religious system. It's not going to fit in your old wineskins. It's not going to fit in to your empty, self-righteous, pitiful, works-based, exclusive faith. It's not going to do it. This new faith I'm ushering in is going to be for everybody, and it's going to take new wineskins to hold it. So he's basically telling them, I need you to start to deconstruct what you think religion and relationship with the Father is right now because I'm about to paint you a whole new picture. I'm about to paint you a picture of what intimacy with the Father looks like. And then it's even more fascinating to, this, to, to me uh, because of this part. There's three actually, actually three accounts of this conversation in the Gospels. I think it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this one alone is the only one that makes this last comment at the end in Luke. And it's in verse 39. He says, And no one after drinking old wine wants new, because he says the old is better. And so he concludes that statement Jesus does. He says, hey, you who have just been drinking old wine, you don't want new wine because you think the old one is the better. You think the old way is the better way. You think the complacent way is the better way. You think that self-righteous way is the better way, and it's because you've never tasted new wine. You've only had old wine. He says, until you have new wine, you're not going to understand, and you're not going to comprehend. He says, you guys are stuck. You aren't going to want to leave your old wine for new. You're convinced that old wine is better. And what I'm telling you is that it's not. It's not better in spirit. It's not better in practice. And it's not better in truth. It's just not better. And maybe for us, this isn't Judaism, right? Maybe for us, this is your walk with Jesus. How many of you have experienced an encounter in a relationship with Jesus and gone right back into the rut and routine of not even religious things, but irreligious things, right? Things you know aren't good. Seasons of complacency, seasons of sin, these things that pull us farther away from the intimacy that Jesus desires with us. 
Because I think that's the same thing, right? It might not look like Judaism. It might not have the, the label, hey, this is uh, Judaism, but it's self-righteous religious behavior, right? Where we say, man, God, I just want you to fit in my little box. I just want you to do things the way that I want you to do things. I don't, I don't necessarily want to step into the things that you've got for me. I'd much rather go back to that old wine that I really, really enjoy. I'd much rather you just be a patch job on my life instead of giving me a new life. And so you haven't stepped into that or you have stepped into that for a season and you've gone right back because you didn't have intimacy with the father. And I don't want to be content with that as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as a church leader. I don't want to be content right there. And I don't want you to be content right there on the other side of a screen this morning. I don't want you to be content with making Jesus the patch job on your life or trying to shove him in to this mold that you think he is because he is far more than that. And he desires more for you than the self-righteous lack of faith that we have on a day in, day out basis. I have a deep and genuine desire to see God move in my life, in my marriage, in my family, and in my church. And I am, I am pleading with you that it is a better way and that you should have that same desire. And so as you're watching this this morning, here's what I want to offer you because we're kind of winding this down. I want to offer you this. I want to let you know that we have a host online right now who's willing to pray with you. And that host wants to navigate these hard things with you. I would love to navigate these hard things with you. Reach out, send me an email, let's have a conversation. But right now, in this moment, don't let it go. If you feel like you've been navigating life the same way the Pharisees have by trying to make Jesus the little patch job on your life or, or trying to shove him into who you think he should be in your life's routine, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to repent and ask for some prayer on that because I think that is not the plan that Jesus has for us. He wants to give you new life. He wants to give you new grace. He wants to give you a new hope that you haven't experienced before. And so step into that this morning. Let somebody pray with you on that front this morning. That is our heart's desire at the orchard. And so if you're just watching and kind of passing through, we want you to know that. We want you to know that's who we are. We are a church that wants to pray with you. We want to love on you. We want to navigate these things with you. We want to step into these things with you. And we would love to see you come step into one of our locations and have a conversation, shake one of the locations, pastor's hands. Because honestly, this screen is good. It's a good holdover, but it is not sufficient for what God has called the local church to be. And so we would love to have you come and join us with that so that we can have these conversations with you. But Take advantage of that this morning. Lean into that. Allow us to pray with you. Allow us to walk through that with you. And we can't wait to see you next week. Let me pray with you. And then uh, we got some concluding thoughts at the end of this. But Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for an opportunity uh, just to lean into your word, an opportunity to hear your truth, an opportunity to worship you, God, with the way that we live our lives. In Romans, Paul tells us that our, our, our spiritual worship is the lives that we lead, God. And so I pray that we would we would lead lives that are honoring to you. We would love you uh, with every fiber of our being. God, you would start to purge the things in our life that are not holy, God, that are not in full pursuit of you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.